You're listening to the Ascension Roundtable Podcast, Episode 57, Three Ways to Lead a Holistic Catholic Ministry and Life. Does feeling burned out in your personal life affect how you approach your ministry? Well, in this episode, we discuss three important aspects of a holistic life and ministry. Discover what aspects of your life and ministry may need revitalization, and then take a few simple yet practical steps to strengthen them. Any Catholic, whether a DRE, parent, or student, can benefit from these helpful steps. Stay tuned. Hello, and welcome to the podcast. We're back with round two of Stacy Nome. She is the Director of Human and Spiritual Formation of Lay Students in the Masters of Divinity program at the University of Notre Dame. She also served for seven years in campus ministry as Assistant Director of Faith Formation at the University of Portland. Her and her husband write the blog Happily Even After for the USCCB, and that website is foryourmarriage.org if you want to go read some of their content. Stacy, welcome back. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be with you again. Thank you. Um, so we're here back again. It's me, Marisa, Stacy. Tom has left, so we can um, talk a little bit about him if we if we like. I'm just kidding. So, Stacy, last time we talked about holistic formation and the importance of it, um, what it is. Can you just uh, recap for us what does the church teach us about human and spiritual formation? Sure. So the um, the church likes to understand that formation includes multiple dimensions: the intellectual, pastoral, human, and spiritual, and even communal. Um, around human and spiritual specifically, these are the parts of ourselves that we want to um, seek and endeavor to form. Humanly, we try to develop our human qualities and character and foster a well-balanced personality for the sake of our own growth, but also those we might serve. And spiritually, um, we want to follow that fundamental conversion that places God at the center of our lives instead of ourselves, and then to choose the practices um, of prayer and spirituality that foster that disposition. Great. That's awesome. We uh, we know that we have so many listeners that um, listened to last week. If you haven't listened to last week's um, interview, I encourage you to do that. Um, probably before you listen to this, I think it might give you some context. So you may want to back up. Um, this particular episode, we're going to talk about, um, for those who are working in ministry, what can they do? What are the ways, uh, what are, I guess, what are the concrete steps that somebody can take to start broadening maybe in their own personal formation, broaden their personal formation, but then also start to, you know, transmit that in their leadership? So, um, three general areas that I think are important to attend to. Um, and we mentioned a little bit of this last week. Uh, so I'll move from there are first, uh, areas around the relationships in our lives. Next, around uh, personal practices of well-being, habits of well-being, and then finally, restorative experiences and what restorative experiences um, do we choose? Okay, awesome. So let's, yeah, let's round those out. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yep. So around the kind of, um, and I'm basing again all of this on some of the excellent sociological research of Matt Bloom in his uh, Thriving in Ministry project, a Lilly-funded um, project. So um, one of the things that they discovered are what are the essential relationships that help ministers not only to survive in ministry, but to thrive. And they name those relationships as um, first having a mentor. 
Um, second, having a peer in ministry, and third, having a true friend. And so each of these kind of meets a different area of both our growth, but also um, attends to both our prof- our professional selves and our personal selves. So the mentor is someone who um, is not just a role model, not just someone that we look at and toward for um, example, but who takes a personal interest in us. So someone we know personally, who we can meet with, who can speak into our lives, who can say a little bit more about the path of ministry that we may be on. Um, And then the peer in ministry is someone who does the same type of ministerial work, whether that's um, a DRE and a DRE or a campus minister with another campus minister. Um, So who knows exactly the type of work we do, but does not have a stake in our particular ministry. So it would be someone um, potentially uh, at a different campus or in a different parish who doesn't um, necessarily speak into the decisions that we make or have a stake in the outcome. So if we need to check in with them, they know the shorthand, they know the vocabulary that goes with this particular type of ministry, and we can communicate easily and clearly. But they also know potential pitfalls, um, the abundant opportunities available to us, Um, and what have you, but that we can kind of access them as necessary. My own peer in ministry is someone who also works in formation. um, And we actually identified one another as a peer in ministry. And her call is one that I would drop everything to take, right? So if I see that she's calling me, it's possibly because she needs to debrief something right away. And so I'll pick it up. And we have the shorthand of how's it going? Do you need anything? Yes, I need to talk to you for five minutes. Great. I have five minutes. Or I don't need you right now, but I really need to debrief something. Do you have a half hour later on? Um, and I've done the same. And it's it's so life-giving and helpful that there's just a space to put that kind of um, not stress so much as um, energy around ministry, right? That there's a place to put that and a time to kind of um, debrief that. And I think ministers know what I mean when I'm talking about (laughs) that energy that comes up that we just need to work through. And then the final relationship is a true friend. So um, someone that we're just our offstage self with, that we can just be entirely and authentically ourselves without attending to a public face or a private face or what have you. Uh, But one kind of trick to the true friend is that they need to be geographically proximate to us so we can actually physically sit in one another's presence um, and enjoy one another. And that can be challenging in our kind of moving society. So that's the relational aspect. Um, The second one was? Oh, so um, habits of well-being. Habits of well-being. Yes. Can you speak about that? Yep. So practice. Absolutely. So um, practices of well-being. These... (laughs) Um, these are super obvious. I'm going to start with that. Okay. (laughs) So, however, trying to, and endeavoring to, um, find, uh, and I'm actually going to use the word proportionality. We don't use the word balance when we talk about habits of well-being because we think balance is an illusion. The idea that we can have things perfectly, you know, in kind of stasis with each other just doesn't exist in life, let alone in ministry. Um, But proportionality, that there are seasons where some things need to become more prominent, but that doesn't mean that we let go of others. They just might need to fall in prominence um, is is what we're seeking. So the habits of well-being that we try to help folks develop in themselves as habits are um, around sleep, nutrition, physical activity, prayer, and restorative niche activities, which I can describe. Um, So sleep. The question with sleep, and this, of course, I'm working with folks who are in graduate study, so they're students on some level. They don't behave like undergraduates, but still, you know, it's a different kind of of lifestyle, but so too ministry. There's late time, uh, late night commitments and things like that. So sleep, the question is not, do you get X hours of sleep a night? The question for ourselves is, 
how much sleep do I need to feel rested? Do I get that much sleep most nights? If I don't get that much sleep most nights, why not? Is it under my control or is it not under my control, right? So um, someone who has a newborn baby, they may not have any choices about how much sleep they get in a given night um, or any other number of commitments. But it is a question of um, if I'm not getting the rest that I know that I need, how sustainable is that? When can I recharge it, et cetera? So that's the first category. Uh, the next is nutrition. And again, it's not around this. It has nothing to do with X diet or what have you. It's much more, and I think most of us know this if we take the time to think it through, what um, do I need to uh, eat to take good care of my body, to give it the nutrition that it needs? That's why we use the language of nutrition instead of diet. So the idea is I know the things that I have to kind of hold myself to, which is not no soda and staying away from fried foods and eating fruits or vegetables with every meal. If I do those things, I will make other choices that fall in line with being a healthy person. But for someone else, it could be entirely different. And I've seen this any number of times. For another person, it could be, I have to make sure to have X amount of water a day because I don't do a good job of hydrating myself. It needs to be that. For another person, it could be, I eat no green. So if I make sure to eat green once a day, that kind of keeps me in line. For another, it could be being careful about like snack times or salty things or sweet things. You know, the idea just being, you know what you need. Um, think it through. Try to make healthy decisions about your nutrition. So it's specific, like you're saying, this is all about the individual, the individual and specific to the individual. And that's why you were saying in the last podcast that a lot of people who um, have taken the strength finders find that individualism is, um, is a, high, a high trait in a lot of them because they understand this principle, I guess. Um, the idea that, so individuation with the strengths finder is a trait that I find formators happen to be particularly high in because of the way that we, um, speak with folks. But this is very much, um, the, the habits of well-being are very much around your human formation. They're very much about, um, in the most theological sense, treating your body like the temple of God that it is. And so respecting the sanctity of that and the choices that you make about that, um, because as ministers, we're not going to get paid a lot of money. So one of our primary resources is our physical health and well-being that we get to offer to the people of God um, to be able to sustain, you know, ministry. Um, so a couple of the, the other elements of well-being are, um, so physical activity is the other one that I named. Um, that is not, again, at all about an exercise regimen. It's much more about attending to the fact that a lot of what we do in ministry deals with our heads and our hearts, and that's exhausting. And our bodies also need to be able to um, be used uh, as extensively for the sake of both mitigating stress, but also just kind of um, getting out of our heads and our hearts for a little while. Um, so that's where physical activity comes in. This could be as simple as just making a point of taking a walk once a day or things like that. Again, I think people know what they need and it's just evaluating that and building it into your kind of, if you will, week to week um, sort of schedule. For some folks, it's like really important that they break a sweat X number of times a week. Or for others, it's really important that they do some kind of competitive something once a week. That really helps them, you know, engage themselves um, physically. So it's knowing yourself and kind of evaluating that for yourself. And the one I think the next one is in terms I'm super interested in is the restorative. Restorative niche. Yeah, restorative niche. That's it. Yep. So um, 
restorative niche. Can I backtrack slightly to prayer before we go to the restorative oh, yeah, niche? Yeah. Is that okay? Yeah. yeah. See, I was so excited about That's it. I forgot about prayer. <laughs> restorative niche will move really smoothly into the restorative experiences um, general category. So that might work well. The, um, the last one with prayer is uh, carving out uh, individual prayer time too, right? That you have time. We certainly all like to pray um, mass and do things communally, but when do you, with prayer, the only thing that we're asking people to think about is when do you listen to God and when do you talk to God? And do you carve that out most days to listen to God or talk to God? Um, and often this can be one of the hardest ones, I think, for people to really prioritize, which sounds, uh, kind of bad as a minister, right? That this could be one of the hardest for us to prioritize, but um, it is. I mean, it would be um, untrue to say that it weren't. So we came across, can I share a little quote with you? Yeah. yeah. We came across from Jacques Philippe, who's of course a great spiritual writer. Um, and I put this on a prayer card for my students. Um, it's on having time to pray. Jacques Philippe said, time is not always the real problem. The real problem is knowing what really matters in life. No one has yet starved to death because they didn't have time to eat. I just thought that was so helpful as far as prioritizing prayer, yeah. right? If Do I understand prayer as the spiritual food that I need to, to survive? That mm. is awesome. That's really good, yeah. We did a, a podcast a few, I guess a month, about a month ago with Father Josh Johnson. Mm -hmm. um, and he his topic was how to make Jesus your priority. And that was his whole thing. It was just that as ministry professionals, it's so easy to... Um, just kind of want to pour out, pour out, pour out and, and not take that time, you know, with Jesus to be restored and then also to, um, hear what he's saying in your life, um, and just foster that relationship. Absolutely. So any of you guys listening who missed that episode, I, I encourage you to, to go back and, and listen to that. Um, he does give some really helpful, practical tips for, for building that space into your day. And I would say around these like habits of well-being, sleep, nutrition, physical activity, prayer, and we'll move on to the restorative niche. Um, I am not a strong enough person to do these things automatically. Like I don't have some kind of amazing discipline in my life that that's possible. I, in my most honest, it's because I don't want to be a hypocrite in asking other people to do these things that I find, um, you know, that extra accountability or wherewithal to do them. Um, but that's okay. You know, <laughs> yeah. that that's the reasoning, yeah. you know, whatever it takes to get us there. Because again, we understand this to be vocationally. We understand for it to be for the kingdom of God and God works in our lives in many ways. And apparently in mine, it's around hypocrisy. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> Maybe it's something much more noble for others, but I just don't want folks to think that like, Oh yeah. If you're disciplined enough, it'll all fall into place again, proportionality, right? So these are, these are categories of thought that one could self evaluate around to try to maybe identify something seems off what seems off, you know, and, and just seeing, you know, how that fits. The other kind of final thought before the restorative niche that I would throw in is, um, it's a good thing to self evaluate around these asking yourself under a time of stress, which goes first. So if I have these uh, these practices in place, um, what what will I most willingly drop when I'm stressed? Will I stop getting the extra sleep I need? Do my eating habits go out the window? You know, do I just totally let go of any kind of physical activity? And that then can become an indicator of oh, I'm stressed because stress can be so subtle, like we don't even realize how it can you know kind of eke into our lives. 
Yeah, I think a lot of people, speaking of prayer, I think a lot of people get the perception of working in ministry is, oh, I'm going to pray all the time. I'm going to be in, the, especially if I work in a church and I can just go to my daily mass and can, it's just going to be part of my life and it'll be super easy. And then I think the reality sets in that it is one of the things that goes first and people get busy and they get so consumed with talking about God or, or, or being pastoral with people, they forget about their own personal spiritual needs. And so I think prayer just, yeah, yeah I think you're right. It's, it's, it's difficult for people to, to put in. And I think the perception is if I go to work for the church, it'll be piece of cake. Right. And I think the Jesuits agree with you on that. You know, they like to say that um, pray all times everywhere, but pray sometimes somewhere. You know, like <laughs> that's only possible if you actually sometimes sit down and carve out the time. Yeah, people forget. They say that first part and then they just right. totally neglect the second. Totally. It's like um, my dad always said, you know, people quote St. Francis, although he doubts the validity that this is actually what St. Francis said about uh, preach at all times, use when use words when necessary. And he's always like, yeah, but the Catholics like to hide behind that. The actual truth is that he was a preacher, so he used words pretty often. So it's, it's, it's like we, we Catholics, we just like, you know, go right up to the edge and then just completely change directions as soon as it becomes slightly uncomfortable. <laughs> um, I really like that you um, you started with sleep there uh, because that has been something for me personally that over the past, in my marriage particularly, I realized that when we first got married, my husband and I would have, like, I would get, you know, easily offended about something. And then mm-hmm. I, I wanted to, like, stay up till all hours of the night and, that like, try to hash it out. And I I look back, and it's just this silly, I don't even remember most of the things, but they were just so silly. These things are so silly. And I was, like, so charged. I mean, oh, my gosh, the matter of the salvation and the success <laughs> of our marriage rested. It's so silly. But... I just, um, I remember kind of my husband saying to me, look, I'm not saying this isn't important, but I'm saying this isn't the right time to talk about it. It's not getting us anywhere. And so finally I started kind of, you know, begrudgingly giving into that and just going to sleep and waking up and, and things were fine. And it was like, and not to say there were never follow-up question, or conversations, but I feel like it really helped me determine what actually was worthy of my energy and what... Mm-hmm things were um, really the consequence of, of me being tired. And I, I just, that has totally changed my entire um, perception of like what, <laughs> yeah, of, of the value of sleep and how important it is to us in our emotional life, but then also just in um, in the effectiveness of, of our day-to-day. So I encourage anybody who's listening uh, to maybe start there, <laughs> not not to the exclusion of other things, but I felt like when when I get good, I feel like when I get good sleep, all those other things become so much easier. The eating right, you know, taking care of my body, all all of the, those other things, um, kind of go out the door when sleep is not uh, when sleep is is wrong. I love what you're saying. I think it's absolutely the truth when it comes to um, being able to give us any sense of perspective, both in our personal lives and our professional lives. Such a healthy thing to just sleep on it. Just take, you know, when when you can to just think like this seems overwhelming. Will I see it the same way in the morning? I think that's great wisdom. 
So the restorative, I guess sleep is restorative, yes. but there's more to this. So that's our third, that's yes. the third leg. Yep, that's great. So the restorative niche and um, just restorative experiences in general. So um, I'll describe the restorative niche when I describe it under the restorative experiences. So the, the last category of concrete things to do are restorative experiences. Um, and there are about three uh, things under this. And the first is detaching and relaxing. So detaching is just exactly what it sounds like, the but specifically that you don't think about work at all when you're detaching. So the idea that you can leave and let go of everything that has to do with kind of um, your ministerial environment, uh, your coworkers, um, maybe even the liturgical year, if you need to let go of that for a little bit of time, you know, um, but that you can just completely kind of unplug. And that could look like anything, you know, um, that could look like, you know, uh, hanging out with friends or just taking a walk or watching Netflix. It's just true detachment, you know, where your mind is elsewhere. It could look like physical activity of um, a sporting kind. Um, but it's the precursor to being able to do the second half of that, which is relax, right? Like we can't really enter into relaxation if we have some part of our mind still spinning or processing, you know, this other piece. So we want to just detach from that so that our bodies can actually relax. And then, you know, just as you said, Marisa, it's... Um, it's uh, sleep could be relaxation, just uh, not moving or kind of uh, sitting or putting your feet up or whatever. Anything could be relaxation as long as you're able to actually kind of enter into that. So there is a crossover here between those habits of well-being and essential restorative um, experiences. The last thing I'd say about detaching and relaxing is that, um, again, the sociological research tells us that we need to be able to do this at least four times a week for the full benefit of thriving. So the idea that you actually detach in the way I've described four times during each week, um, which might seem high to some folks, or it might seem built into kind of one's personal or family life that, you know, when I'm home, I'm with the children or I'm with my spouse and I'm off or I'm, you know, doing my other interests. Does the time matter there? The, the amount of time? No, not in the least. Uh, no, actually it doesn't. Just the idea that you're able to let go of things. It doesn't have to, of course, now that's counterbalanced with what we just talked about with sleep. So if you're actually paying attention to the amount of rest that you need, that's one thing. But as far as the detaching and relaxing, the idea that you can just let go of stuff, I think it's that action of practicing letting go of stuff that is the most essential. And so you can hear four times a week is most days a week. Um, okay, you ready for the restorative niche? It's so exciting. Yes, ma'am. <laughs> the restorative <laughs> niche is a phrase that was coined by Bloom and his team, and um, it refers to um, an activity that you enjoy doing and that you can seek mastery at, right? So some folks like to talk about this like a hobby, and that's true. A hobby might fit your restorative niche activity, um, but you need to be able to seek mastery at it too. So this is basically saying there are other parts of your life that you can just throw yourself into purposefully beyond ministry. Because of course, like ministry and vocational stuff is totally purposeful, but this is something else that's just other that you can just enjoy for its own sake, but you can also seek, you know, to, to improve and so on. Um, and one of the best ways to know um, that you found your restorative niche is that you can um, lose track of time doing it. So you just, you know, you're you're engaged in it and like, oh, my gosh, an hour went by. I had no idea that kind of thing. Uh, so some examples. Oh, and they can be hard to find is the other thing. A lot of folks, it's incredibly common if anyone is hearing me describe this and they're like, I have no idea what my restorative niche is. That's very common. Because it's just not who we're brought up to be necessarily. You know, we're kind of like accomplishers and we get things done. Um, and so we don't necessarily attend to this other kind of part of our human self. Um, 
So it's totally fine if you don't know what it is, but it is so fun to try to figure out what it could be, you know, brainstorm what are these possible um, uh, activities. So for some folks, they could be things like golf or um, fly fishing or skating, ice skating. It's a great time of year for ice skating. Um, it could also be things like even building, you know, like ships and bottles <laughs> or, um, or tree climbing or gardening or any kind of craft type activity you know, from knitting the and then the whole gamut of craft type things um, from there forward. Um, it could just be anything that kind of meet these criteria. And I've seen so many different things that people come to. Could it be like a game? Oh, like sure. A, like a card game or something? Yes, yes, absolutely. It could be a game and all the more fun, right? Um, because you can do it. Now, a trick to it being a game is if it needs another person. So if it's something that you are doing with someone else, you want to have at least one restorative niche in your life that you can choose to do independent of others. Because mm -hmm. I have time right now, but you might not have time right now. Right. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So yes, a game could definitely be that, but you want to be able to have other things that you could do too. Blowing my mind. I know. <laughs> I don't know because it, you, people think about, oh, I have a hobby, but they don't think about, you know, what, what can I do by myself. Yeah. And anytime I do that, I hit flow or, you know, I think people, some people call it flow. Yeah. yeah. Um, where they're just, yeah, lose, they lose themselves in, in the action or maybe you could say they put themselves fully into what it is that they're doing. Yeah. I think that's great. It's, um, again, it's, it's so worthwhile. And I think it can be a little bit of a frustrating frustration rather for folks, um, to think like, I don't know, I can't figure this out. And that's frustrating. But it's like one of those things where when then you hit it, it just opens up your energy. You know, I was talking with someone. Um, and first, they thought that this was silly in general. <laughs> so there were, it was one of those kind of like conversion -y sort of talks where you're like, well, let's just think this through, because maybe <laughs> it could apply to your life. And over the course of the conversation, we realized um, that he has a restorative niche, he does all the time, and it's calligraphy. Mm. Right. Huh. So like if he started out as a doodler and then he started practicing certain, you know, kind of, you know, I don't even know what you call them figures. Um, and he can lose track of time doing it. You can definitely seek mastery of calligraphy. My goodness. You know, um, but when you have that recognition, he was like, oh. I do that all the time. You're right. It is so life-giving. I'm like, yes. <laughs> <That's awesome. laughs> <You know? laughs> so the, um, now the piece with the restorative niche, this is, so it's one thing to figure out what is my restorative niche. It's another thing to be able to put it into your life. And what, um, Bloom and his, uh, colleagues suggest is that we need to do it for an hour a week Wow. to carve out an hour a week where you get to engage in your restorative niche activity, which for some folks, that seems like a lot. So what is your restorative niche? Oh, so I was using some true to life examples. Tree climbing is one of mine. Really? <laughs> really? Indeed. I, I don't know. I just realized that I've, it's something that I, I've done since I was a little girl. And when I was also endeavoring to be like, I have no hobbies. Also, you can easily go from the, I have no hobbies to I'm not good at anything. Like that's an easy turn. Like mm. I don't play an mm -hmm. instrument. I don't. Right. And then I realized, yeah, that's something I did since I was a little girl and I would just keep on doing it and just lose track of time. And ice skating is another one. I so again, I was speaking from true to life experiences there. Um, do you have to f climb different trees or is it like <laughs> <laughs> in the seeking mastery side of things, the same tree always has more branches higher up 
Ah. You know what I mean? Ah. So like I can get to the branch that I was on last time faster, maybe this time than last time, because I'm getting stronger or more agile with this tree. (laughs) Or I might just have a little bit of extra courage this day where I go a little higher, you know? So for me, that's enough as far as mastery. I'm using the word mastery loosely when yeah. I describe mastery. <laughs> hey, that's pretty impressive. I don't know if I could get up like one tree limb. So. <laughs> I'm just picturing you climbing a tree an hour a week right now. <laughs> oh, yeah. Right, yeah. I find that I often um, might do these things when I sneak away from something else. So if I've sent my students on a Lenten day of reflection and they have a long reflection period, I might just wander out to the woods and see if there's a branch to grab. I came back with a lot of sap on my the back of my pants once, and I had to figure that out. That is great. Okay, and the last restorative experience, are you ready? Yeah. It's very simple. So we had detachment, relaxation, then the restorative niche, and then um, Bloom talks about meditation. And so for us, we would probably name this as prayer or contemplation. Um, so again, this is a great crossover with the well-being pieces that we were talking about. Um, but for meditation, I just specifically want to emphasize for him and what they discovered, it needs to be five minutes a day. So this is just one more kind of, um, reaffirmation of just carve out some time to be with God and be still each day. And it, and it helps kind of to support you and, um, uh, supports your thriving in ministry and for the people of God. Five minutes sounds so doable. And I know that it's, it, you know, practically speaking, it's actually, still very hard because I, I'm trying to think it, you know, I always say, I'm going to do five minutes of silent prayer and it's, it's tough to do, but it's kind of um, comforting that in his research that that's kind of the number that he mm-hmm. found that doesn't have to be 30 minutes. It's great if right. you could do that or once a week, do a holy hour, but you know, five minutes a day is so much more. Um, I feel like that's a, it's a much easier goal. It's just coming into yourself, right? Like it's just enough time to come fully into yourself and to connect with God, just to bring yourself into the memory of, you know, I'm a created child of God and beloved. And, uh, especially in the work I do, it's my job to show other people they're beloved too. Yeah. Wow. That even just right there is very helpful in terms of what, you know, what fills that five minutes? Is it, you know, listing off all the things you're concerned Mm -hmm. about? And oh, you're yeah. saying, no, it's not. It's, <laughs> yeah. it's, uh, it's uh, maybe <laughs> the opposite of what you should do. I th- and I think that's why he chose the word meditation to describe it. That idea of like, ch- try to um, make it a stilling practice, right? That you're just kind of letting go of things and coming into kind of silence. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yes. That's a good um, precision. Thank you. That's helpful. This is wow. Fun. So good. I know. I know. This is great. Thank you so much. I know we are over our time here, so oh, I'm sorry that we cut in. For me. This is my restorative need. This is. <laughs> <laughs> I um, but I'm secretly, yeah, I'm, I'm so grateful that we were able to continue this conversation. And um, I think I, I'm personally, I, I have a lot now to think about. I'm so grateful for your interest. Thank you so much for taking this as seriously as you are. I'm just, I'm, I'm really eager for folks to be able to kind of have these tools at their fingertips. Yeah, I'm I'm really excited to expose our listeners to it. And we have a lot of people who listen who are in professional ministry. And we're also finding out that we have a lot of people who are, um, you know, they're not professional in their ministry, but they all have some sort. Yeah, everybody, I feel like, can benef- really benefit from this mm-hmm. conversation no matter what. And, um, and so I, I have no doubts that everybody listening will have really practical things to take away mm-hmm. for wherever they are, their state in life and um, what's happening. So thank you so much. Yeah, so my good. My pleasure. Thank you. 
All right, guys. So there you have it. Uh, we want to hear from you. So please reach out to us at Ascension Roundtable at ascensionpress.com. If you've had an aha moment or you heard something in the show or you are involved in something that you think is helpful for the other listeners or you just want to talk about climbing trees, please just reach out and let us know what it is that you uh, what, what you do, what your sort of niche might be, and uh, what do you want to talk about? Let us know. See you next time. Peace.